This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. It's weird, you know, like you come in and we're in game, almost game 70. We haven't seen this team yet. And you watch them on tape and they're as advertised. They're fast, they've got skill, they make plays. And so they're, they're tough to defend. And like you said, they were turning points in the game. The challenge, the shorty, the goal with 0.2 seconds left. Those are big moments for us. And, and uh, they're going to be a force to reckon with. And it's, uh, you know, it's pressing, impressive to watch what they've done in the organization. Uh, but they've got some budding stars in there. It's uh, they're a tough team to play against. They are. They're a tough team, no doubt about it. But you know what? The Lightning are a pretty tough team as well. And I think we found that out not only the last game against the Devils, but really the last few years. That shouldn't be a surprise. I'm looking forward to the game tonight. You know, look, the regular season can be a grind, not only for the players, but Dave, for us. Let's be selfish. We like storylines. We want some juicy topics. We want something that's a little bit different, and that's okay. And, you know, playing a team like the Devils in the same city, back-to-back games, although, you know, day off in between, it's a little unusual. It's fun. And now you get an opportunity to see both teams again and, and see how this, this plays out. I'm, I'm looking forward to tonight's game. We get to see a response from the Devils. They were the team that lost game one. If this were a playoff series, we would be talking about what kind of response are the Devils going to have. And the Lightning have to be ready for that response. Now, it's not a playoff series. So, I mean, if the team split these two games, they're going to go on their merry way. They're going to play a different team on Saturday and then see each other Sunday at Amelie Arena. And they're not going to play each other again for the rest of the regular season. But this is different. It's it's a little bit, I think Corey Perry mentioned this, it's a little bit like the 56-game season where you had those mini two-game series often to cut down on the amount of travel. And you were playing the entire season within your division. So I'm curious to see what kind of response the Devils have and how the Lightning handle that response tonight. Yeah, I think we all are. And my assumption would be, partner, that Vassy would be back in net, correct? I know I had some people ask me that question. Yeah, Yeah, I uh, I was at a party yesterday, and I had a few Lightning fans come up to me. They listened to the show. By, By the way, huge fans. And they were like, Greg, what do you think? Do you think Vassy's going to be back in net? And I'd say, I, I would think so, right? You know, day off in between. Yeah. And there's a back-to-back this weekend. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, Vassy, uh, the more he plays, he enjoys it. I think if the Lightning also have the type of defensive performance partner that we've seen. I think you pointed out, and it was a really good one. I think it's it's something that's been under-discussed, if that's... The right word to describe Tampa Bay is that while we've seen them, I think, trending in the right direction recently, I think this has coincided with them being better defensively. We talked about the shots, limiting shots per game. It's not always a great indication, but it can be. Mm. And I think the Lightning, would you agree, over the last couple of weeks are trending in the right direction, which is a good sign heading into the playoffs. Well, they've switched the possession metric from when they were in that five-game winless skid. They have had more of the possession than the other team. The game on Tuesday, as I said yesterday on the show, was was not a dominant possession game for the Lightning, but they really, they really took over the game in the third period. So at the end of the day, they probably had an advantage. In fact, I have the shot attempts here. They're basically even 59-55 New Jersey. 
And again, shot attempts don't give you the full picture of possession, but they can be an indicator of possession. And I think that's fairly accurate. The, the shot attempts were close. I would say at the end of the day, possession was close. But in the first 30 minutes, the Devils had a clear majority of the time possessing the puck. Right. And the Lightning made that up in the second half of the game, especially in the third period. But not every game is is cut from the same cloth. And as we said yesterday, I guess if you're going to be on the wrong end of the possession metric, if you can limit shots to the net, that means you're doing some things well defensively, I guess. But, I mean, you look at that game, the Devils had some close calls that just didn't go in. You know, they had three posts. They missed the net on, on some. They had the goalie interference play where the puck went in the net, got taken off the board. It was the correct call, but that was one they put in the net that got taken away. So it's not like the Lightning didn't have possession and just basically suffocated the Devils and kept everything to the outside. That wasn't the case. There were scoring chances in there. But the other games during this stretch when the Lightning have held the opposition to 23 shots per game or less, they have had a clear advantage in possession. So that's a good sign. I still think that they would like to cut down on the quality level of the chances they are allowing. But if you're going to allow quality chances, and every team is going to allow some quality chances, as you have stated many times, Greg, it's hard to play a perfect game. You're going to have some miscues. But if you're going to have miscues, I'd rather have Vasilevsky in the net than really any other goalie in the league, right? So... The Lightning will continue to work toward that goal of lower chances and lower number of high-danger chances. But I think it's definitely been an improvement over the five-game winless skid when they were getting run over, essentially, in a lot of the games. Agreed. And we've got a lot of questions pertaining to the Lightning and their play, mm -hmm. and even the the Devils and... <laughs> Dougie Hamilton, as uh, Basil pointed out, um, we want to get to those as well. Uh, Stephen Stamkos. We do have Brian Engblom yes, coming. We should on the show too. We should mention that. Sorry, no doubt. Ahead. No doubt. Um, we don't know if St Stephen Stamkos will be in the lineup. That is something that we'll obviously monitor. The captain. This is one of those things too, par partner. Where if you don't have to play him, I don't. I, I think you want to rest him as much as possible. Because there's no urgency outside of wanting to continue to play well and, and munch points, which I understand is the point of these games, but it's not like the Lightning are in danger of not making the playoffs. Getting Stammer healthy, as if you know any player who's banged up within reason, because you can only have so many guys in and out of the lineup, that now, to me, in addition to Stamkos, this partner is where I kind of start looking at the schedule with how many games left, saying, okay... If I need to rest Hetty for a game, I'll do that. If I need to rest, pick a player. Brayden Point. If somebody's nicked up and I have the appropriate substitution on my roster to sit that guy, those are some things. I mean, it's probably as you get a little closer to the end of the regular season that you can make these judgments. But there's no need to rush guys back, Dave, if you have somebody who's willing to, to fill in, understanding that the big picture here is to have everybody ready to go for the playoffs. 
Yeah, it looks promising for Stamkos based on practice yesterday. And they actually mixed up the line combinations, which we can get into. But Stamkos was back in the middle, centering a line with Nick Paul and Ross Colton. Good job, Ed Encina. I guess he spoke with Stamkos, and he had tweeted out that Stammer wanted to play in the game against Winnipeg on Sunday, but in retrospect maybe shouldn't have played because he felt that his knee was the knee was better than what he had feared when he tweaked it on Saturday, and that's the word I'll use. I think he said it locked up, but he probably could have used an extra day. <laughs> so maybe, maybe he should have been listening to you, Greg, because that's exactly what you were talking about. So he took Tuesday off. So really, he's had what Monday, Tuesday. He practiced yesterday, but you know yeah. didn't play. That's three right. days since the game on Sunday. I would expect he's going to be in the lineup that his leg is feeling better but why not yeah if you have a guy who's nicked up maybe it makes sense to to not push that player and and let him get an extra day off i don't know that you sit a guy just to sit a guy no maybe no, no. M- maybe if he's battling something yeah that, i mean that's look, something to consider dave knock on wood the lightning have been very fortunate from that standpoint and i think it's been one of the reasons even though they've had some inconsistent stretches this year with their play I think one of the underlying positives of this year has been, yes, they've been a little inconsistent, but the record is still really good. And I think it's good because, yes, guys are playing well at at certain positions, but they've also been relatively healthy. You know, they've been able to throw out their full roster game in and game out. And while maybe they haven't played perfect hockey in some of those games, I think sometimes their talent's able to take over a little bit. They're able to earn some points when maybe the other team has outplayed them a bit. And I think a big part of that is because uh, the Lightning have been healthy. And I think strategically, especially for a team, if the narrative is they've played a lot of hockey over the last three years and eventually that catches up to you, maybe one way to kind of even that out is to rest certain guys at certain times. And to your point, and it's a valid one, you've got to do it within reason. But to me, I think player maintenance makes a lot more sense with this team moving forward than it does a lot of other teams. And we'll just mm-hmm. we'll continue to to monitor that situation. Do we want to get to some questions yeah. right out of the gate? Because I feel like we had a lot yesterday. We didn't get a chance to uh, hit on all of them. And as Dave said, Brian Engblom, the uh, fantastic broadcaster for the Tampa Bay Lightning, will be joining us in about 15 minutes or so. Jay said, Hagel put the team on his back. Reminiscent of Gretzky in 93, Game 7 against the Leafs. (laughs) He will be a major reason why or why not the Lightning have playoff success. Well, the stakes were a little bit lower. You think? No, come on. (laughs) That's great. You know, we, not to totally switch topics, but I'm glad that Jay brought this up. So we think of... Like, I shouldn't say we think of. This is what we hear, that if and when the Leafs win a playoff series, there's going to be, like, a parade in Toronto. That's what people say, right? Yes. Can you imagine what the atmosphere must have been like in 1993? Because remember, that was, what, 30 years ago now. Dave, I was 13 years old. Right. Well, you're giving away a little too much there, my friend. (laughs) But that is still, so the Leafs won their last cup in 1967, right? Say that again. That that sounds sweet. 1967. Yeah, 1967. So that would have been, what, 26 years. Yeah. 
from 67 to 93, and the Leafs have not been back to a Stanley Cup final. They have not been back to a Stanley Cup final since 1967. Off the top of my head, I can't think of one that they've been to, but they did get to the conference final yeah. in 93. They won game six. Did they win game six? I think they won game six in L.A. to force game seven at home. Can you imagine the atmosphere in Toronto for a game seven to go to the cup final? And Gretzky is like, Mm-mm. I'll just score it's a hat incredible. In That's incredible. Game. I know. I know. That had to have been, look, Gretzky had a lot of moments. I'm stating the obvious there. But you've got to think that moment in particular has to rank pretty highly for him. Don't you? Just, you know, the Kings, they weren't the his Oilers. His hometown, too, yeah. basically. His hometown. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't even, you know, that's a good point by you. I, that didn't even enter my mind. It was more of, you know, the Kings weren't the Oilers of the 80s. Wayne Gretzky and with the, the new Leafs. team. And the Leafs, like when Gretzky was with the Oilers, they went in to play the Leafs. The Leafs were like a sacrificial lamb. I mean, yeah, they were right. just, they were not very good. So the yeah. Oilers would just crush them yes. and play them a lot. They right. certainly didn't play them in the playoffs. But in the Kings' year, they did play, I guess they did play the Leafs a fair amount because the Leafs were in the quote unquote Western Conference then in that in that Norris division. So I stand gotcha. corrected on that gotcha. front. Right. But the Leafs weren't going into the playoffs or deep in the playoffs when Gretzky and the Oilers were were ruling the league. So this was really the first time that Gretzky was in a situation where he was going to Toronto with a lot on the line in a playoff series and certainly yeah, right, right. game seven. Yeah. Yeah, and you know that that Kings team, I mean, they were good. I, were they great? I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, when you have Gretzky and and some of the other players that they had, it wasn't Robitaille. I mean, they had yeah, a Robitaille good was team. Good. Was yeah. Tomas Sandstrom on that team? Probably. Um, they they were pretty good. I, yeah. I, what I'm saying is they, but they weren't they weren't like a a machine. And Gretzky gets a hat trick in that moment against. I've got to think. Was that Doug Gilmore and Wendell Clark? Oh yeah, and Anderchuk was. And on Dave, that I was going to say Dave mm-hmm. Anderchuk, right? Was. You know, every once in a while, it's funny yeah, they you brought that game up. It's funny you brought that ga- that game up because I feel like this was a while ago. It might have been two or three months. I don't know what I was doing. I was just kind of flipping through the channels. It was on ESPN Plus, and I think they had that Kings-Leafs game on, kind of as one mm. of those flashbacks. And I don't know about you. I always love going back and watching some of those old games from, like, even the 90s, just some of the players that were on those teams. And... It was interesting. I think I, think, I want to say was Kelly Rudy the the goaltender maybe. He would the, have been the goalie for the Kings. For the yeah. Kings, just some of those names that you're like, oh yeah, I remember him. But Wendell Clark in his prime was a heck oh, of a yeah. player. Heck well, of a they player. were they were a really dominant line. They were Gilmore, Anderchuk, and Clark. Yeah. Next time they we were. have Anderchuk on, we'll have to ask him about that game seven against yeah. the Kings. Incredible, really. Because when he got to the Lightning, of course, the story was Anderchuk had never won a Stanley Cup and never been to a Stanley Cup final. And and that was a big storyline in 04, certainly. Yeah. But the closest he had come, he had a couple of close calls. But one of them was that Toronto King series. And then he had a year with the Avalanche, the year that he got traded with Bork. Gotcha. They got to the conference final. And then, of course, yeah. Andy left after that year. Right. And then the next year, the Avs did win the Stanley Cup with Bork his last year. 
That was it for Andrichuk, though. He was on some really good Devils teams, actually, that he was. underperformed in the playoffs. I feel like he had he have a 40-goal year for the Devils. I want to say McGillney might have been on. On that team, he played when he was with the Devils. They they were they mm-hmm. had some good teams. You're right. They had he was always on some good teams. I think which helped, you know, yeah. part that big body in front, and he was he was able to bang home some some goals for sure. Um, let's see here. Sorry, folks, for going no. off on a tangent there. You're fine. Yes, Hagel had a very good game <laughs> the other night. I asked you, and I think you were right in your response with Braden Point. It's hard to discredit which we weren't doing, of course, but not take into consideration more the goal number that he's achieving. I mean, Dave, could he hit 50 this year? He yeah. could. He could get high. I was actually thinking, is it possible that he could get to 60 before the last game? He you would were thinking 17 goals in 15 gotcha. games, which is like that would have required a lot. <laughs> down we're, he's at 43, but right? Yeah. Could he get seven in 14 games? Hap- I don't absolutely. see why not. I mean, he absolutely. may not, but... He's been on a pretty good run here. So is Kalorn. Kalorn's not going to get to 50, but Kalorn yeah. is at 21. Yeah. Kalorn has he, six goals in his last seven games. He's put together, Dave, at least from a goal-scoring perspective over the last couple of years, pretty good streak. You're talking about Kalorn? Or yeah, Kalorn. Well, point, of course. But Kalorn's always been one. Remember one of those guys just you know, struggled to get to 20. <laughs> a lot of people would say, yeah, it gets like 15 to 18. I feel yeah. like he's, I feel like he's, he's broken through a little bit. And, you know, if you can get that type of depth scoring and get those type of numbers from players, you're doing something pretty good. And I think Hagel's in that category, probably a little more dynamic in, in many ways than, than Kalorn, both very effective, but I, there's no doubt that, that point could hit 50. What I was going to say is I, I, I agree with you that, I think you can make the argument Point's been their most consistent forward, but I think Brandon Hagel would be number two because I, I there have been very mm-hmm. few games where you've said, I, I haven't noticed him in a positive way. And it's hard to do in 82 From a season. point production standpoint, Kucherov has been very consistent, but I yes. think he, even he would say that his play has not been as consistent. Yeah. You think His... about the Lightning have a great power play. They do. They're number two in the league. I know sometimes we come out of games and like the power play really hurt them, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they, they come into this game tonight 25.4% of the power play, second best in the NHL. That's pretty incredible because how yeah. many people will knock the power play? Well, because, you know, even with that percentage, you're scoring one out of every four, basically. So there are three that you're right. not scoring on. Having said that, the vast, vast majority, I could look it up, but the vast, vast majority of goals the Lightning score in the power play, if the first unit is out there, Kudrov is getting a point. Because the puck is going through him so much. Either he's scoring the goal, he's passing to the guy who scores the goal, or he's passing to the guy who passes to the guy who scores the goal. Or took a shot and then the guy who scores the goal scores on a rebound. So Kuch, just the way they have the power play set up and the fact that the power play is proficient and prolific i'll use that word he gets points but i think that the cooch level has not been consistently high this year and i think even he would acknowledge that 
Yeah, I think you But would. he does lead the team in scoring, so it's hard to say that from a consistency standpoint in terms of points, like, it has been there. He has contributed points very regularly. The thing is, too, when you want to talk about how dynamic a certain player can be offensively, look at Exhibit A right there with Nikita Kucherov. Because you could say, you know what, he hasn't been as consistent this year, but Dave, look at the numbers. That's, when you talk about elite playmaking ability, that's part of it. I mean, you're able, it's going to hit 100 points this year in a year where his plus minus is going to hover around even. You know, I mean, that, that's still finding a way to contribute, yeah. even though maybe your game has been a little bit off uh, from other areas of the team. And you know, that can happen, but that's a sign of a good player, too, a great player. You find ways to contribute. I wonder, too, if some of this is I'm I'm falling victim to recency bias, because I think in the yeah. first half of the year, we were talking about how great the top six had performed. So maybe I'm kind of getting swayed a bit by the Lightning's meh play, really, Yeah. since February. Since February, I think they've been a game over hockey 500, if you don't count overtime shootout losses in that column. And, look, they haven't been quite as crisp. So, I mean, Kucherov yeah. has been part of that. That's really a stretch of time where he was getting points but probably not playing. Let's say it this way. He was not playing as well as he had been playing earlier in the year. Yeah, makes sense. And he's he's found a way to munch points, just like the team has found a way to munch points, which mm -hmm. has been – which has been an encouraging sign. Basil says uh, about the win the other day, that felt good. Amazing how Hagel influenced that game just with his jump. In the beginning, Bolts looked like they couldn't match New Jersey's speed. Once 38 started flying around, everyone in white got energized. Of course, his goal and two assists helped too. So look, the Lightning have time to experiment with the line combinations. And if what we saw in practice yesterday is what we're going to see tonight, then they are experimenting with the line combinations. They have two new players that they're integrating in, Tanner Janot and Mikey Asimon. But get your thoughts on this, Greg. If the Lightning want Hagel with Point and Kucherov, that means you need somebody to fill in the Hagel spot with Sorelli and Kalorn if you were going to use Sorelli, Kalorn, and somebody as a shutdown line. And maybe you don't want Steven Stamkos to be in that position. So if you follow that logic, that means Stamkos is going on a different line, and if he's going on a different line, maybe you put him at center, his natural position, and you find somebody else to play with Sorelli and Kalorn. Who is that person going to be? Tonight it's going to be Tanner Janot. I wonder if that's a little bit of the thought process because as the fans have, have been talking about, like Hegel is really a great fit with Point and Kucherov. He's kind of the um the the utility knife, is that the description, right? Like you can use him on the checking line, but maybe if all other things were equal, you'd like him with Point and Kucherov, but then you have to figure out the rest of the lineup. And maybe we're seeing a little bit of that. I don't know. I mean, I was kind of spitballing there, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts. It's a good point, you know, because Steven Stamkos, I think at this point in his career, you can probably move him up and down the lineup a little bit. But you also, I think, want to be strategic in how he's 
approaching certain situations. And I, I've maintained, I don't know if you want Stammer uh, on a line where they are constantly going out and defending against the other team's top line. Because I think we both agree that Sorelli and Dave are going to be part of that, correct? I mean, I think it's well, fair. Well, it would seem to be, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's not that Stammer can't do it. I'm just saying when you have an elite goal scorer like that, is that a role you want him in? Now, he may say, I don't care. <laughs> you know, whatever the team needs me to do, this is about winning championships. Fine. But if you were to move somebody up, who would it be? Does Hagel moving down Dave to that second line in an instant or an instance like that make more sense than bumping, let's say, Stammer down to the third line as a center, moving somebody else up on the second line to complement Sorelli and Kalorn, and then having Hagel stay with the first line? Well, I think we're we're seeing the experimentation play out in real time. And you know what? Stamkos, Paul Colton, like that that's an interesting line. We haven't really seen that as a line, but that could be a an effective line. Paul and Colton have played together quite a bit. So yeah. We'll see how Stamkos does. And again, like AC Mont seemed to benefit from being in the middle. Maybe Stammer will benefit again from, from going back in the middle. And as far as Juneau taking that spot with Sorelli and Kalorn, again, they're going to see how it looks. But I do remember last year, not last year, this happened last year, but Hagel said it this year, that he was helped by being given a specific role. As he arrived at the deadline, he was trying to find his place on the team. And he said, it really helped me when they said, all right, just do this job, right? <laughs> Check, basically. And they formed a great trio, Sorelli, Kalorn, and Hagel last year in the playoffs. So now we have another guy arriving at the deadline, Tanner Janot, who's trying to find his place on this team. Maybe they give him that role of, you know what? Go with Sorelli and Kalorn and check. He's been he's been effective on the penalty kill. He and Kalorn teamed up for a shorthanded goal in Buffalo, if you remember. So let's see how it looks. Let's I'm not sure that this looks. is the exact combination that it's gonna click into place for the Lightning, but I think that like you've talked about the D pair quite a bit. We have talked less about the forward line combinations. Because I think that the Hegel component has been effective no matter where he has been. But John Cooper likes to know he can he can switch up lines in the playoffs and he's already like run them run run a line through a regular season game or two. So these players are accustomed to playing with one another. But maybe they find something here down the stretch where you can say again, Hegel, you're staying with Point and Kucherov. This is our line in the playoffs. That's going to be our attacking line. I like this it. is going to be the line the other team has to worry about the most. Yeah. I understand. The let me see here. Okay, here's uh, Basil as well. I wanted to get the uh, the Devils comment, and then maybe uh, we'll take a break, and then we'll get to 
Brian. He said, has anyone interviewed Dougie Hamilton? What was he thinking on that shorthanded goal? He didn't try to take away the pass. He did not try to check Sorelli. It looked like he was just looking for the puck to come to him so he could go back up the ice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. Well, Basil must have been listening how I described it yesterday because I kind of, or maybe not. Maybe Basil reached his own conclusion. Yeah, right. he didn't play that two-on-one conventionally, let's right. say. He struggled. <laughs> and that sometimes happens uh, with Dougie a little bit defensively, but a great offensive player, and I think... A lot of people uh, would agree to that. Um, Al says, I'm about to touch the third rail of Tampa Bay, like, Tampa Bay Lightning hockey. Is it a coincidence they played their best road game in a while and 91 was out? Lines 1 and 2 played well. 91 is more suited for center. 20 is comfortable on the wing. Maybe put 91 between 79 and 84. Won't be popular. Now, this I will say this was 22 hours ago. Yeah. So Al kind of, you know. Maybe Spitting John about, Cooper. Maybe, maybe John Cooper was following that. It's like you know the thing. Maybe between twenty and seventy nine. You know the thing too is you kind of generate um, manufactured depth offensively when you do that too. You know you kind of take Stamkos somewhere else and put him mm -hmm. on a third line. You give that line a little bit more juice too, and that's one way you can control things if you're looking to provide a bit more balance up and down the lineup. I don't know, Al. It's a good point. Time will tell with what will happen. Maybe we'll ask Brian that question. When we return, he's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli, Steve Versnick's our producer. Brian Engblom up next. We'll talk to him about this game and so much more. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Hey, Lightning fans. Marty St. Louis here. I'm coming back to town next week for a special night. The inaugural Hall of Fame ceremony will be Friday, March 17th. I would like for you guys to join me. I'm honored to go in with my ex-teammate, great friend, Vinny LeCavalier, and Hall of Famer Phil Esposito. I've had plenty of great memories in Tampa with the 04 Cup, my jersey retirement, and, uh, and now uh, this uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction for the Lightning. So it should be a good night. Please join us and celebrate. Thanks. You're listening to Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli. All right, welcome back into Power Lunch here on Lightning Radio. Greg Linelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin, Steve Ersnick, our producer. We're getting you set for Lightning and Devils round two tonight. Guy who's going to be front and center covering that game as well. We always enjoy his analysis. Lightning broadcaster on the TV side, former player, former Stanley Cup champ. That would be... Brian Engblom. Brian, great to be with you. And I was telling Dave earlier in the show that, you know, for, for broadcasters, I think it's nice. But I've got to think for players, it's nice to have, you know, this little wrench in the schedule where you're playing a team in the same city, basically back-to-back -back games. It doesn't happen often, but you know what? The juices are going to be flowing tonight. And especially with a team like the Devils on the other end, I don't know. This, this has to be pretty exciting for, for both teams to play each other. Greg, I, I think it's great. Um, I think we're going to see more of it um, in the coming years. Uh, it's it's a good idea for the owners and the teams. It costs them less, not flying back and forth, just staying here. Um, I think it's a lot of fun for us as broadcasters, for sure, uh, because it gives you sort of a mini playoff feel, especially the fact they're coming down to Tampa in a couple of days, too. So we'll see all three, see them all three times in the space of what six days. So, 
Um, you get to know them real well. Um, it, it's great, uh, especially because New Jersey is such a young, up-and-coming team that's had some really good success this year. That adds to it as well. So the naysayers will say, okay, we're going to have two drab teams, you know, some other time, two bottom feeders playing each other twice. That happens, you know. You can't you can't plan everything out perfectly, but I think this works all the way around. And uh, uh, yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. We see uh, more of it in coming years. Brian, at practice yesterday, the Lightning mixed up the forward lines, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on maybe why they did that. So Hagel with Point and Kucherov, Stamkos in the middle. And they move Tanner Janot onto the quote-unquote matchup line with Sorelli and Kalorn. And then you had Colton and Paul playing with Stamkos. What do you think they're looking for there? And what do you think of those line combinations? Uh, possibilities, I think. Uh, when you add two new players, I think you still have to go through the process of, of figuring out who can do what. Um, and matchup lines uh and they're going to play toronto pretty much a hundred percent chance of that trying to figure out what looks right what feels right um i think it's just a case of of really doing that i think they have settled on some things um it looks like you know mikey Esamont, uh at santa rice is what they like to add that speed on the fourth line i'll start there because i think we all know that you know, Belmar, Perry, and Maroon can't all play together all the time. It's just they're another year older, and they just don't have enough speed in a in a uh, a league that's incredibly fast. And certainly, again, looking forward to uh, the playoffs, I can't see that line playing together really at all against Toronto that can play fast too. So um, putting Asamont in the middle there with any combination on the wings. Uh, we've seen Maroon on that fourth line. We've seen Maroon go up, you know, on the third line. I think he plays a little bit quicker when he played what we had. Uh, he was playing with a bit with Paul and Colton before. So, you know, the, uh, the uh, combinations and permutations are almost endless here for four lines. I think it's just another day in the life of uh, Coop trying to take a look at things. Hagel, um, was the best player on the ice the other night. Uh, he's back with Point and Kucherov, but I think we certainly will see the hagel sorelli Kalorn combination happen again in certain games because I think that's going to be, you know, a, a checking line. So that means Stammer goes back and forth. And I think maybe Stammer coming off, uh, you know, missing a game and having been injured, uh, maybe not getting as much ice time in this game, perhaps. And that's why you see him maybe center with Colton and Paul on, on more of a third line. So maybe they, they might get a few less reps. Uh, that could all figure in as well, I think. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. They do have some options now, Brian, depth-wise at the forward position. Asimon seems like he's going to be finding himself in that lineup with his speed. What have you made of the two new guys who came over at the trade deadline? And do you feel like those guys, especially AC Mont, they're going to be mainstays in that lineup come playoff time? Yeah, I think they will be. The whole idea was to bring them in as they've, they've got, you know, some physical properties to their game for sure, especially Janot, uh, but they have speed. And, and that's why they got them. They have youth and speed. Um, I fully expect that they're going to be lightning players for the next couple of years. And, you know, that's been the MO of the management is that, you know, we don't do anything temporary. We're, we always have an eye on the future. 
so that makes sense. Um, I think they've been okay. I think there's still, you know, a, a fair amount of work to, to be done there, trying to get them settled. That there's really nothing much that coaches can do. Yes, they're, they're playing on different lines and combinations, but it really, it just takes time. Um, it's not their fault. Uh, they both uh, are, you know, still a little jumpy with the puck, and this is a puck possession team. Um, so, yes, they want to utilize their speed and their physical edge. Asimon hits a little bit, or uh, sorry, a lot. So does Janot, and Janot, of course, will fight. We know that as well. Uh, but, I mean, they're a puck possession team, so no matter which line you're on, um, you, you know, you have to get used to the routes that you're supposed to run. This is a, it's a pretty complicated team, I think, for these guys and for anybody new coming in. Uh, they, the management, the, uh, the coaches expect a, a fair amount from you um, and where you're supposed to be and the, route, the routes that you're supposed to run uh, offensively and where you're supposed to go. Um, so uh, that just takes time, and I think they're still thinking their way around. Neither one of them really looked to have any a, a lot of comfort with the puck and haven't been able to you know score goals because uh, you'd like to see them put some in. Uh, I think I think it makes you appreciate, um, you know, guys like uh, Cole when when he came in, um, uh, and uh, sorry, uh, Nick Paul, Nick Paul when he came in, and Cole Men, uh, that you know they just seemed to fit in seamlessly, and maybe I got spoiled by that. You know, they started kind of scoring some big goals and looked comfortable within two games, um, so. I haven't seen that yet from these two guys, so I think they still have a ways to go in that department. Brian, I'm trying to remember the last game in which the Lightning were able to get so many odd man rush looks that ended up with them scoring. But they had three of them the other night, and then the fourth goal, the Kucherov goal, was also off the rush where where the Devils had a breakdown. What kind of adjustments do you think the Devils are going to look to make tonight to limit those odd man chances against yeah i'm sure lindy ruff wasn't real happy about that um anytime you're giving up stuff off the rush like that it, it's uh you, you just look leaky you know everywhere um i think that they got kind of full of themselves early on they had some really good movement in the offensive zone um and because of that they were getting chances and they had puck possession and the lightning took you know, a little bit to kind of get up to speed and find a way to stop them. And when they did, they turned pucks over and all that motion that they had, that New Jersey had in the offensive zone, ended up catching them with guys in the wrong position. And then uh, lightning players can burst out of the zone and get those uh, outnumbered attacks. So there, there's a balance there. Um, we saw several indications early on where, um, you know, their defensemen would rotate down and their forwards would rotate up. And that's what I mean about the motion, almost a circular motion. That's how they scored their first goal. A defenseman scored, I think Severson scored the first goal, didn't he, Dave? Yeah. And, and he, was, he was down near the net when he scored. So that's what I'm talking about, which is great. But then it also can cause some concerns when you don't have the puck and you don't have your defenseman back where you want. And now you're you're playing, you know, sort of a scramble mode. So I think a little bit of that happened. And you have to give the lightning credit for finding a way to to knock that that sort of uh, attack down. 
and uh, make something out of their offense. And I, you know, just some terrific efforts. Uh, Hagel was the best player on the ice and he made some great plays. And I think that really inspired a lot of people. He and he and Sorelli on that shorthanded goal were absolutely terrific, but the way Hagel played that way. And I think it inspired the rest of the team to, to really battle for the puck. And I know we talk all the time, <coughs> pardon me. We talk all the time about, uh, the lightning and their puck possession game and Coop talks about it too. That's the way they want to play. But sometimes you get lazy and go, okay, somebody go get the puck and then we'll do what we're supposed to do. And that's the oversimplified way I can explain. We've seen that a lot this year where the players are not buckling down and not playing hard defensively and winning battles in key areas, not just in your own end, but in the neutral zone. It, it kind of looks like, okay, somebody get it. it. It won't be me, but somebody get it, and then we'll start that thing that we do. And next thing you know, you're, you're on defense all the time, and you're losing battles, and you wonder why the game is going against you. Uh, so I thought Hagel really inspired that. The team got better. They battled for pucks, and they got New Jersey out of position, and then they, they uh, got the opportunities. And once you get those, then that flow starts to come back to their offensive game, and they, they look normal again. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Speaking of looking normal, what about the back end for Tampa Bay? Do you feel like we are getting closer to maybe getting answers to the permanent defense pairings? Who do you think meshes best with Hetty in a perfect world? And and where do you see the, the top six? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question. I'm just thinking about that again this morning. I keep you know, I keep looking at that and and going, uh, yeah, where are we? I think it'll depend on who they're playing on any given night. Um, and again, uh, I'm always, you know, because we are down to, you know, the stretch run here and I keep looking towards Toronto, um, you know, who's going to play with whom. I, I like Perbix with Hedman because he's got a flow to his game. He understands how to play with that. I, you know, when I talk to him, Earlier in the year, I said, if you you do a really good job with Victor, and it's not always easy. I said, did you play with players that have movement in their game similar to Victor? And he said, yes. I said, well, it shows. That makes sense. Because not everybody, we've had this conversation about, you know, Chernak. It's not his fault. He just doesn't look comfortable with Victor. He needs the more traditional up and back, you know, that he had with McDonough. So that puts Chernak with Cole. Uh, for the most part. Um, and I, I, I like that combination. Um, I think Cole has been a really good, steady player for them. Does a, a lot of good things. He can shut down. He can play it quite a bit, you know, a fair amount. He and Chernak have that sort of classic style about them that I think makes both of them probably more comfortable. Sergachev has a lot of, you know, a fair amount of motion to his game as well, too. So, I mean, it's not that Cherny can't play uh, with Sergachev or Hedman a little here or there, but it, I don't see it as being a matchup, stay with it sort of thing. So I think Hedman always plays so much that he's going to play with two or three guys anyway, right, over the course of the game. Um, but I like Perbix and Hedman. Um, Sergachev and Chernak is okay. Uh, I kind of prefer Cole and Chernak. 
So then that would, you know, most likely put Bogosian there with Sergey. And I'm okay with that. Bogosian's got a lot of experience. Uh, Sergachev likes to have some movement to his game sometimes, and so does Bogosian. But for the most part, he knows, uh, you know, he knows how to handle that. So I would, I would think we'd see a fair amount of that and then see, you know, what's happening. Um, I think overall, what concerns me the most as a group of six, because Radish, Radish, you know, they're feeding them in there. Uh, and Flurry is definitely the last guy on the list. I, mean, I think that's pretty much been established, right? They try to keep him in the mix, but it doesn't seem like they, they you know, they have a lot of confidence in him. That'll be out sort of a last resort with injuries based on the amount I've seen them. But as a group, um, it still worries me uh, a little bit that they really get focused on the puck way too much. <clears throat> I don't think their reads are great uh, through the neutral zone. And once they've lost possession of the puck, they find themselves in bad areas on the ice and leads to outnumbered attacks. And goodness knows we've seen a lot of outnumbered attacks against them this year. Um, and that's, you know, that's not a good thing. They are, I'm just looking at the stats defensively, rush chances against, they're 21st in the league. So for, you know, a top team and a Stanley Cup winning team, that doesn't seem good enough to me. They're good on the cycle. They're 11th. Once they get inside the zone, they're pretty good at, you know, at being in the right place and stopping the cycle, et cetera. But on the rush, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, moving the puck and trying to be involved in the play and not realizing that players away from the play on the opposing teams are, are gathering speed and jumping into holes and then they're getting the puck and then it's, uh-oh, turn around and go. And that that concerns me. Totally switching topics here, Brian, but it occurred to me that you were probably working for the Kings in the early 90s. We had a fan tweet in at the beginning of the show saying Hagel put the lightning on his back the other night like Gretzky did against the Leafs in the 93 conference final. So we started talking about that game seven when Gretzky had a hat trick. First of all, you were with the Kings in 93, were you not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering how hysterical Toronto would have been for a game seven in 1993 and even at that point, it had been almost 30 years since they had won a cup, and they hadn't been back to the final since, nor have they been back to the final since they won a cup. What was the atmosphere like from, from the best of your recollection about the lead-up to that game and then, and then Gretzky's performance in his hometown against the Leafs? Oh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Um... Gretz was so incredible all the time to watch night after night. Uh, something funny that he said after the game that I'll never forget, that he was within earshot of an elevator operator in the hotel that we were in, saying that Gretzky looks like he's playing with a skating with a piano on his back, really sarcastically. And Gretz got pissed. You could tell. Because the fact that he mentioned it at all, but he was pissed. So he had fire in his belly before that game ever started. And he mentioned it later. Yeah, that, that's what he had heard. So you get 
guy who scored more points than anybody's ever thought of, <laughs> all pissed off in a big game in his hometown with Gretz's, you know, past record of putting up performances. And that elevator operator, who was a Toronto fan, obviously, <laughs> didn't know what he just did. <laughs> so I thought that was great. Um, the, the series was really really rough and there were some borderline hits a lot of them were in in the open ice McSorley hit Gilmore uh with with a questionable hit and everybody was all over him I think that was in the game might have been in in that game I can't remember exactly which game was which I'm so if I'm if I'm out of order here about things that pop into my mind I apologize but it was either in that game uh that deciding game or the game before um and uh, there were a couple of things that people were really upset about. They thought Gretz got away with a couple of tripping penalties or whatever, you know, that he they never put Gretzky in the penalty box, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So there were so many things going on. But then Gretz was just a demon every time he touched the puck. And he had that look. You could tell teammates, like he always wanted the puck, but he had that look of give it to me right now. <laughs> every time he got on the ice and he knew how to skate to openings better than anybody I've ever seen, which is why he had the puck so much. And the game was different then. Uh, there, there was more space and he utilized everything and everybody. And uh, it was absolutely outstanding to see, but he, he was, it was like a, a, there was a demon thing going on in him and he just took the game over and it was absolutely spectacular for, for the uh, Los Angeles Kings. Not so much for Toronto. <laughs> no, I'm sure. <laughs> I was going to ask you before we let you go, understanding the lightning and probably the Maple Leafs, understand they're going to be taking on each other again in the first round does that resonate in the back of everybody's mind brian even this i don't want to say late in the season but we still have a few games left in the regular season does that mental preparation is it still you know kind of tucked away in the back of the brain understanding that look we we want to play well heading into the playoffs but we know we're going to be playing the maple leafs and we can kind of get mentally prepared for that even now yeah, it's a good question, Greg. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a comfort in that for the players because you get edgy when you know you're going into the playoffs and everything's jumbled and you don't know who you're going to play for sure. There's It's good to know, like you, you sort of keep it out of your mind, uh, I guess, and you just keep moving forward, you play your games. But I, I think the fact that they've known already for a month or more, it seems like it's been locked in. I don't see it changing. Uh, that they know it's going to be Toronto. It's, it's got to help the coaching staff too, because how they're putting these line combinations together, I'm sure it's in, in the back of Coop's mind. They're preparing stuff, and I'm sure they've got a, a tremendous amount of tape already put together on everything Toronto's doing, breaking them down. That gives the coaching staff a tremendous edge, because what if it's you know going to be a possibility of three different teams? That's a lot of work. And these guys put in a lot of work, especially for the video guys. <laughs> They're, you know, the coaches, you know, give the marching orders and like, oh, my God, I'm going to be at this machine forever. Right. So breaking down three different teams is a lot different than breaking down one team. So you can really focus. And the prep, I think, will make you feel better going in. As for the players. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, knowing that it's going to be Toronto is really something. 
and that their execution is going to be really have to be really high because they won by a very small margin last year, just barely. We all know that. Uh, but they did. And the momentum it gave them um, was incredible. And so that Toronto will be that much more motivated again after several years of no success in the first round, uh, including last year. They know they're going to be animals in that in that first round. So, you know, what is it going to take? And it, seeing as how you brought that up, I've been thinking a lot about it, too, just like you guys have, I'm sure. And I, to me that I keep going back to, you know, the fourth cup that we won in Montreal. I wasn't there for all four, but I was there for the second, third and fourth and how it changed a bit um, going into the fourth year. It, it is very difficult. And there were some lulls for sure during the season that we had, just like the Lightning have had. And you get geared up. I don't remember, to be honest with you, if we knew who we were going to play um, at the beginning. But to win the Cup, um, the mentality that had to be there and, you know, really drawing up that, that energy. I think the Lightning are going to have to approach it a little bit differently, to be honest with you guys. If it's strictly a focus, we know they know how to play. We know about the puck movement. We know what makes them really go. I'm talking about the mental approach and the physical approach to, to this game. I think they're really going to have to take it to Toronto with especially their top guys. And I, it's a disappointment that I've had with the team over the last couple of months is night after night, they let the top players on the other team beat them. You can't do that in the playoffs. So I'm talking about Marner and Matthews to start things off. They're right from the drop of the puck of game one. They're going to have to run at them and intimidate them and be like, we're going to be in your face and down your throat right from the drop of the puck. And they're going to have to play mean and nasty. They're going to have to get themselves to, to push themselves into that. And I brought this up before a couple of times when I was talking to Eric Erlinson. You know who won the Conn Smythe Trophy for the Montreal Canadiens in the fourth year of the four cups in a row? It wasn't Dryden. It wasn't Guy Lafleur. It wasn't Steve Shutt. It wasn't, it wasn't Larry Robinson. It was Bob Ganey. Bob Ganey, who was basically a checker, who did score some big goals and was a matchup guy. We had a lot of matchups back then in the day, right? You don't see that much anymore. Um, and he absolutely refused to lose like he ran he was a demon every night he ran at guys and he was mean and he was nasty and he was in your face and he hit the gas pedal and went 100 miles an hour and his attitude in the room and everything was like that he just brought heat to every game and i remember he generated that and everybody noticed it's so unusual to see basically a third-line guy, second-slash-third-line guy, a checker who was famous. I, he won Selkie trophies, but the Selkie was different then. You know, it wasn't like Patrice Bergeron winning now. And he's the one that won the Conn Smythe Trophy, and he was absolutely inside out at the end of the playoffs. Like, he had nothing left. Bruised, battered, no energy. I'm, I'm done. I, I, I did everything I could do. And he dragged the rest of us along with it. And that's the kind of attitude that the Lightning are going to have to have against Toronto and then the next round and the next round. And boy, is it ever tough to do. But you're going to have to have that battle level at like three notches higher than you've ever had it before. And that's what it's going to take. Well, Brian, we appreciate you, all the analysis. We'll do it again real soon. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, guys. All right.
Always enjoy Brian Engblom breaking it down with us. Partner, it's going to be a lot of fun. Again, tonight, we will speak to you during the pregame portion of our show, and then you'll have the game call a little after 7 o'clock. Yeah, he had some great stories, didn't he? He did. Who knew that, that was in 93 there was an elevator operator still in existence? It's true. It's true. I love it. Of course, anytime yeah. we talk about elevator in Emily Arena, I have, I have. There is uh, an elevator operator, operator in Emily Arena. That's true. In a it's hotel, just a matter of though, the. It's just a matter of the elevator hotels working. anymore. No, yeah, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> that's very good. And then we'll break it down tomorrow, uh, recapping what we've seen this week and uh, specifically uh, tonight's game. So it should be a lot of fun. Thank you, partner. Appreciate right. it. We'll talk to talk you, to you tonight. tonight. Yep. Thanks to Steve Versing. Thanks to Brian Engblom. We appreciate everybody who listened. Keep those questions coming in at Bolts Radio. Again, our coverage with the pregame skate show begins at 6 o'clock tonight right here on Lightning Radio.